Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Jeez Louise. This is the podcast where two brothers talk about uh, comic books they like. Um, I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other brother. My name is Kevin Hines. And uh, this season we're doing Sandman comics. And today we're doing issue 69 from the second to last arc in the series called The Kindly Ones. Yeah, it's the last issue of that arc. Uh, so a lot happens uh, before that. It's like part 13. Yeah. So we're, there's 12 parts that precedes this. I don't know how many of them are critical and how many of them are sort of uh, divergent little stories that Sandman likes to do. But uh, I did not read the I did not reread the first 12 parts. And so I was reading this issue going, I'm sure I'm missing a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I mostly got it, I think. I think I I think I could sum it up. Great. So I'll in do that one in a sentence. Second. I think I could do that. Okay. But not right now. Um other things I just wanted to point out, Kevin and I are uh, hilarious. That's important for you to know. We're mm-hmm. just like really funny people. Yes, we are. <laughs> just the kind of crazy comedic energies our whole lives everywhere we've been and done. People are like you guys are so funny. You know, like Tim and Eric do like anti-comedy sometimes. Yeah. We're like four steps below that <laughs> in what we, we also do anti-comedy. It's like four steps Not more as anti. Oh yeah. Four steps harder to even know that it's comedy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like, oh, is this, a, is this a joke or are they just having a conversation? And yet at the same time, we're hack as shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The, the jokes we do make. Are terribly awesome. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, and so we like comic books, and now uh, we talk about them. Yeah, we like comic books a lot. I would say, mm-hmm. and um, and I've been really excited to talk about Sandman all the, these last couple episodes, Kevin, and I'm excited to keep talking about it. Yeah, um, yeah, we're still doing it. We have a, a one more episode after this. Uh, but uh, we're nearing the end, Will. So if you've got stuff to say about Sam and you're running out of chances to say it, because if you try to say it in a future episode, I'll have to slap you. No, I'm holding it all in. I think I'll have time. Okay. I have yet. I've not yet said anything I want to about Sam. You haven't even started. Nope. But I think I'll be able to get it all out. You've talked a lot in these past episodes. Just making chit chat. Just being. Oh, polite. man. Feels like a waste of everyone's time. I don't think so. Anyway, uh, the kindly ones. Um so yeah, that's interesting, Kevin. Um, yeah, I when I was trying to choose what issue to do, because there's 13 of them, it's sort of, I don't know, difficult because uh, the Kindly Ones is both an incredibly complicated story that I have trouble keeping track of in my brain. I even like sat down in getting ready for this episode to like try to map out what happens, and I kept losing track. Uh, and it's also just like incredibly simple. And so any issue I picked was full of like references to the complicated parts of the story and yet also was kind of fun on its own. So I couldn't decide. And I just went with the last one because I don't know, it's a good like bookmark to our series sort of, it's a good mirror of the first issue that we covered. Right. It sort of mirrors the first issue, which is um, issue eight, nine, eight, eight, where death and dream sit on a park bench and have a chat. Yeah, that was the first issue we covered in this podcast. 
Uh, and the issue we're going to do today, it starts off with death and dream hanging out and chatting. And so it's kind of a nice mirror to that. It, it also is the first issue of like after the first arc. And this is the last issue before the last arc. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, we got a watchman like level of symmetry going on here. <laughs> yeah. That, that one thing yeah. uh, is exactly as symmetrical as that issue of watchman. I guess our podcasting is just as good and I mean, I don't take credit for that. That is, Neil Gaiman made that. We didn't make those choices. But we noticed it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, then I guess By we accident. also get credit for noticing what Alan Moore did. Um, wow, we can suddenly take credit for a lot of things because we've yeah. noticed a lot of stuff. I notice things pretty frequently, I'd say. I'd say every couple of days I notice something. Yeah, I don't. I don't go a week without noticing something. Oh, uh, Yeah. At least once a week, I'll notice something. Yeah. Uh, uh, this issue is drawn by Mark Hempel. Yeah, and most of the issues in the Kindly Ones were. Um, and uh, it's interesting. It's a very, very different style than any of the other issues we've covered. Yeah, it's very cartoony, right? It's very, like, blocky and abstract and re- uh, reduced almost. Yeah, it almost feels, it's not quite this, but it almost feels like a, a comic strip. Yeah. Level like uh, Charles Schultz. Uh, I mean, it's not that style, but like like Bill Watterson, just sort of like, oh, very simple, few lines, getting your idea across. It's it's interesting, the uh, different artists for every arc. Uh, it's one of those things that like I think about for Sandman a lot. That's like, oh, it's all these great artists work on it. And then there's a part of me that also thinks, would I like it more if all the main arcs were done by one artist? Uh-huh. And then like all the anthology arcs were just done by Whoever. a different artist. Yeah, because like that's fine, which would be more in line with what other Vertigo series would do. They'd have like a main artist and then they would occasionally have guest artists or have a secondary artist do some other things. It makes sense to have one artist for a whole arc. Yeah. I mean, this is also if a book's going to have different artists, it's a book that involves dreams and different worlds and different realms. But there's almost a part of me that's like, I wish every time we went to the dreaming, it was by the same artist. And every time we were on Earth, it was the same artist or something like that. Yeah. But then there's also a part of me that's like, that would ruin a lot of what's great about it. I kind of go back and forth while reading this issue. This style yeah. is such a uh, different style. This style is such a different style. That's why you tune in for sentences like that. I was waiting this whole time for a sentence as good as that. And now I got it. <laughs> great. See you, Will. Bye. Uh, yeah, but it, the the fact that like this is such a departure from the previous issues we covered, particularly from the stuff we covered last week, um, it struck me a number of times while reading. It's like, would I like this better if like Jill Thompson drew most of it? I mean, she's great. Um, so I'm, I'm cherry picking one of my favorite artists, uh, and I part of me is like, I would definitely like it more, and then part of me is like, would it feel less special as a series? Yeah. I guess what's good about the Mark Hempel for this, uh, I really like. I like his art. Is um, I love it, and I, and I yeah, like his it. choice for for this arc. What this is like a lot of big, big, powerful characters. This is like we call back almost everybody we've met in Sandman up until this point. Mm-hmm. We see them at one time or another. So there's lots of like gods and like supernatural people and end members of the endless and um, Lucifer and we're seeing them all drawn in this like kind of cartoony style it like it's like a weird contrast to like how grand and powerful the characters are and then the style is like cartoony and simple 
Yeah. It's kind of funny almost. It's like sort of compelling and interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, especially if you think this is like going from like Sam Keith uh, from that first arc. Uh, and it was early Sam Keith too, where it was just like almost gothic y style. Yeah. Sam Keith style also gets sort of cartoony later on as he evolves as an artist. But the first arc is like dark and scratchy almost. And this is sort of the. Co- and, and elaborate and like lots of details yeah. and like. Um, complicated like backgrounds and shadows and this is like hey Blondie check out Dagwood he's become one of the endless <laughs> I mean that'd be a good storyline <laughs> um, so so what's the kindly ones about Will let's okay, get so into I'm gonna, that I'm gonna just dive into an enormous spoiler so I'm gonna give a spoiler alert right here for the 12 that, issues that preceded this in a way the whole I'm just going to immediately get into some huge, huge events in, in order so that I don't spend forever explaining this labyrinthian plot. But I guess if for some reason you want to read this without being spoiled, you should. This is your warning. And I'm now going to dive into it. I mean, if Here you're listening go. to this episode, of this episode of this season of this podcast, we've already spoiled a lot of things for you. So. Yeah. And I don't know. I go back to the first episode, I guess. <laughs> or I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what to tell those people. I don't Neither, know if they exist. I feel like there's a lot of people who just wait for you to not say spoiler alert and then they get mad. But then if you say it, they listen anyway. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing it for them. Great. Okay. So uh, this is about the death of Sandman. Sandman dies. What? That's the, the, wait, what? <laughs> kind, the Kindly Ones is a 13-part story that ends with Sandman's death. And it basically shows that all of the things we've seen him do throughout the series, growing emotionally and being more vulnerable and open, in a weird way come back to haunt him and end up with him getting killed. Like he's rules he has broken to help people uh, make him vulnerable. And because of that, he is killed by his enemies in this arc. So the lesson Neil Neil Gaiman is trying to tell people not to be nice. He's saying, don't be vulnerable. And if you do, you'll get killed. That's the message of this arc. Okay. Don't open up. Interesting. Sandman was wrong to do it. Really a message Um, of our time. It's it's really complicated, like how this sort of goes down. It feels very it feels very like um, Shakespearean or Greek tragedy, where like a- as the walls are closing in on Sandman over the thirteen issues, you get the feeling like oh, there's nothing he could have done. Like just all the pieces were put into place a long time before. But when I was trying to map this out before, I was like, no, there's a lot he could have done. He, there's no way he had to die. But here's the basic thing that happens. At the end of Brief Lives, did you want to say something? No. At the end of Brief Lives, when Dream and and Delirium find destruction, in order to find destruction, who was very well hidden, Dream had to murder his own son, Orpheus, who was cursed to live forever as a severed head and wanted to die. His son of Calliope. His son with Calliope. And so in order to find out the location of destruction and to perform a mercy for his son who wanted desperately to be done with his eternal life. Dream kills him as a blood relative or whatever. He has the power to kill Orpheus, whereas most people don't or something. And he kills Orpheus. And so that is a good thing for Orpheus, but that has now, that is the thing that opens up dream to like punishment. Because he's broken a major rule, which is do not murder members of your family. Mm-hmm. Kevin, that's one of the reasons why you and I haven't murdered each other. Because of that this would rule. really open us up to supernatural attacks. Right. Well, there's been a number of times we've had opportunity to kill each other. And one of us reminds the other one about the uh, supernatural uh, uh, threats. Watch that. You'll be open to attacks from the Furies, yeah. we say. 
they loom over us at all times, and you just got to keep your guard up. Got to remember it. That's all. That's all. It's a few things you just got to keep your mind. To, to survive in this world, there's a few things you got to think about. And one of them is remember about supernatural attacks and how to avoid them. You've got the Furies, the three ladies who show up a lot throughout the Sandman series. This is the Gray Ladies, the Fates, the the, uh, mm-hmm. the Fates, the Gray Ladies, mm-hmm. the we've we, even just in the few issues we've covered, we've seen them a couple times. They show up all the time in this series. Yeah, the Furies are all, all over the place, and they for some reason don't like Dream. They find him arrogant or something, so they're eager to like do something to him. That's one of the like pieces that's in play. But the the second main reason that. Dream has his downfall besides killing his son is that Lyda Hall, who is a a woman who was pregnant in the dreaming much earlier in the series. This is already complicated. Dream visited Lyda and just told her, hey, your son, Daniel, that's my son. That is mine. Because not my son, but my it belongs to my property. Like he's part of the dreaming because you because you basically your pregnancy happened while you were living in the dreaming. Mm hmm. And so I'm just telling you, your baby sort of belongs to me. And she was like, what? No, I'll kill you if you come near my baby. Early in the kindly ones in this arc, Loki, the trickster Norse god, kidnaps Daniel. Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston. Long before Tom Hiddleston was in puberty. uh, Here he is in this comic book Mm -hmm. as a full-grown man playing Loki. Um, He kidnaps Daniel and I couldn't figure out why. I think he was tricked into it by somebody, like maybe by the kindly ones. Like they tricked him into doing it. But by Loki kidnapping Daniel, Lyda comes home from a weird job interview, discovers her baby gone, and says, oh, it's the Sandman. It's Dream. Dream did this. I'm going to kill him. Sure. that's That makes sense that she would jump to that conclusion. Good move, Loki. Uh, it's a, yeah. And then I also, Lyda and Hall Loki, is, does Loki just do this because he just... His typical I can't figure out mischief? why he did it. I, I think the kindly ones tricked him into it. Like he just sort of like wanted to be a little shit. Okay, who are the kindly ones? Oh, the kindly ones are the Furies, the three okay, ladies. That's the, another the, name for the Furies. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. But like Loki also just seems to like to mess with people and to mess with dreams. Sure, but normally so. he messes with Thor and other Norse gods, not uh, the Endless. <laughs> But I think Loki was humiliated by Dream in Season of Mists when all of the gods came around to Dream to petition to, like, get ownership of Hell, which Dream temporarily had. And he, like, humiliated Loki somewhere in there. Everybody kind of hates Dream. Sure. In the, the, like, pantheon of, like, gods. They all just kind of think he's, like, a stuck-up little jerk. Mm Mm-hmm. Lyda Hall, who also, I should say, is a daughter of the Golden Age Wonder Woman, basically. Like, she has superpowers, that are almost never in display in Sandman, but she's like super strong and like can do stuff. I just say that because there's one point in the kindly ones where she's on a date and the guy touches her neck and she just breaks his arm. I mean, don't touch a neck. Don't touch a neck. Lyda Hall goes after dream. And part of her going after dream is somehow she gets in touch with the fates and says, I want to kill Sandman. Do you have any advice? And they're like, well, we're not allowed to touch him, but he did kill his own son. So that might mean he's vulnerable. If you can help us, we can get to him. And that begins a plot between Lyda Hall and the Furies using Sandman's murder of his son to get to him. And it's like they basically have to, they slowly like encroach upon the dreaming. They get people to leave the dreaming and they murder them. 
Uh, we see various characters that we've known throughout the whole arc get killed. Um, Sandman realizes that people are after him. He tries to go to kill Lyta Hall. Uh, but by then, Thessaly is protecting Lyta Hall with like one of her weird witch rituals. So Sandman cannot do anything and Lyta is protected. The final thing that kills him is he decides if he's in the dreaming, he has enough power there that they can't do anything. So he'll just never leave the dreaming and just operate remotely. Um, but then one of his little elf servants, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name. She's called back to her fairyland by her queen, and she's done such good service that the Sandman gives her a little necklace and says, "This is uh, you may have one wish from me in return for your good service. And she goes back to the fairy and she decides she wants to leave the fairy and she's mad. And so she uses the necklace to, to summon Sandman and he, to honor it, he has to leave the dreaming to go to the fairy to meet with her. And while he's out of the dreaming, the kindly ones enter the dreaming and just begin ripping it to shreds. Somehow that's the story. Okay. And at some point Sandman gets Daniel away from Loki. Yes. Uh, Ironically, Sandman created a nightmare called the Corinthian, recreates, that had been a nightmare who died. He recreates him, sends him to rescue Daniel, and they save Daniel from Loki because they did not agree with the kidnapping. So if sure. Lyta Hall had done nothing, her baby would have been returned to her, no problem. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Daniel is saved, and um, but once Sandman leaves to honor the fairy woman whose name I'm looking up, uh, Wish... Uh, he's vulnerable. The Furies enter the Dreaming, and they surround him, and they're going to kill him, and he dies. And that's the issue we're going to read. They are off panel but surrounding him, and he basically, Death basically shows up to take him and tells them to cool it so she can have one last conversation with her brother. And that's the issue we're at. Okay. Isn't that, isn't that a lot? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 12 parts. It makes sense. That would be a lot. 12 parts at the end of 60 other issues. <laughs> I left out a whole other thing when it's like, Rose Walker uh, from a doll's house is also part of the story and a huge part of it. Uh, Desire's granddaughter. She shows up and she's messing about with things. I mean, if you want to know it all, uh, read Sandman or wait for the live action TV show to reach season six or seven. Uh, Nuala is the name of the fairy servant. I couldn't remember her Can't name. Can't believe you forgot that it's tattooed on your neck. I know. I had to, I had to hold up my iPhone and use, point the camera at my neck to read it. So, yeah, and to be honest, I, I, you know, diehard sandheads out there could probably explain some of the details of the plot better than I just did, but that's but the to, gist. We need to get into the issue. We can't go into all the details. And you right. want to do a and, lot. And so, um, but the basic vibe of it is just he's trapped by, you just basically run into every single character who's been in Sandman. So this is actually a tough arc to read on its own. Most Sandman arcs are, they work as standalone stories, but the kindly ones is steeped in Sandman mythos, and it's really hard to... All right, that, that's it. So uh, the first... So I want to say one more thing about Mark Hempel, who uh, uh, I like. I like his art, um, and I wasn't critiquing it. It's just very different. He does this cool thing on the first page. It's a six-panel grid of uh, Sandman sitting on a rock ledge and Death showing up sitting next to him. But the backgrounds um, that's behind them the whole time is one other image. It's completely separate in a way, like lightning bolts cross yeah. between one panel to two panels to three panels, and the colors might change, but 
Otherwise, uh, the shapes all kind of continue. I kind of love little things like that where it doesn't quite make sense why that background would all be contiguous. But it makes this whole page kind of tie together in a really cool way, despite it having like a very static image at its core. Yeah. It's really beautiful to look at because of that. Hey, these artists, they're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He wasn't phoning this in. He wasn't phoning in the death of Sandman. Nope. Uh, so Sandman is basically knows he's about to die and his sister has come to take him yeah. and they have a conversation. Like we said, that mirrors the one of issue eight, but issue eight was a casual chat where Sandman was like a little depressed. This is like, he's about to die and brother and sister are saying goodbye to each other. Yeah. He gives her a loaf of bread because in that arc, uh, he is feeding a pigeon with the loaf of bread and she throws the bread at him. Yeah, and so he hands her the bread, and they make reference to that. Hmm, you want me to make some pigeons? And he just goes, if that is what you wish. And she does, and they start feeding the pigeons. I think she says, do you want to make some pigeons? Because I think this dream makes the pigeons. Oh, that's right, that's right. Because it's the dreaming, so he has to manifest them. But then uh, uh, death feeds them. Sandman says he was expected her to yell at him, but she's like, it's too late for that, much too late. Yeah, she's very sad. We've seen, this is the first issue in this, uh, this season where I've seen a sad death. Yeah, she knows that it's a, that time's up for Dream, and she's yeah. bummed. Most people die. She doesn't care, but for her brother, she cares. That's nice. Normal. Or she doesn't doesn't care. She's just. That's just the way of if, things. How do you think you and I would be if we had to usher each other over the threshold into the great hereafter? I think we'd be pretty cool about it. Pretty chill, you think? <laughs> we'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we knew it was coming, if we found out on the day of, I was like, oh, by the way, you got to yeah. do the thing. That would be tougher, I think. But if it's sort of like. Oh, I know I have to do this my whole life. It's like, oh, Will got hit by a bus. Kev, you got to go take him to the uh, afterlife. I'm like, ugh, now? <laughs> all right, all right. In the heart of the dreaming elsewhere, there's like all these enemies and chaos has broken loose because the Furies, the kindly ones, have just been doing all kinds of stuff. So the Corinthian uses a Swiss army knife to kill like a supernatural spider demon who was about to attack Matthew the raven. <laughs> it's like it's really hard to read these issues. They're just all a million character callbacks to like previous issues. And then uh, Lucian shows up, the librarian guy, and he looks like he has uh, just been in his own action movie. He's, he's still like his suit still tied up like James Bond style. He's still in a suit. It's pretty well put together, but it's like torn up and shredded in sort of spots. His hair's and a his, little must. And he's covered in soot and stuff like that. He's like, yes, yeah. uh, several of the enemies have been loosed by the Furies. I took care of who was in the library and stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Huh? Um, they're holding Daniel. Daniel is still a baby, and Daniel is safe. Yep. Daniel seems chill about the whole thing. The baby always seems fine. Um, we cut back to Death and Dream, and Dream is uh, Death is basically like, why does this have to be? Like, couldn't you have done something to avoid this? Like, why does this have to be that you're about to be killed? This seems, like, dumb. She accuses him of doing it on purpose, right? The only reason you've got yourself into this mess is because this is where you wanted to be. I just want to know why. And Dream denies it. He's like, I did not plan this, my sister. I had imagined that I would be able to keep events here in check. I intended to play a waiting game in which ultimately no harm was done. Had I remained in the dreaming, the kindly ones could not have done no damage to me directly, nor been able to do anything irreparable to the dreaming. No one was hurt. I could not have restored. But I was forced to leave the dreaming. Yeah, this also goes, one of our uh, listeners uh, wrote in to say that they thought maybe um, I can't remember who this was. Maybe it was Justin. Uh, but at the end of the 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 first, the issue eight, he's happy because it's he's decided 
or they hit they I don't know if they said this or I connected these dots that he's decided oh my time's almost done that's why I'm happy it's almost over yeah which is one yeah. way of looking at it if if what death is saying is true here that he sort of knew this was coming and did nothing to avoid it I do remember thinking that when I read this the first time um that like oh it seems fitting it seems like after he got out of his kidnapping he was kind of weary of the job he made amends where he could, and he's ready to kind of be done with it. Yeah. He's the original dream. There, He's the first one in this, in this mythology. So, Oh, interesting. He's been doing it for all of existence, just is like death. Is this the first death? First death, yeah. So the only one who's been which... replaced is Despair. Oh, she's the only one. Uh, yes, and Delirium transformed from Delight and, and went crazy and became Delirium, but it's the same person. I assumed other ones had died. That's interesting. Okay. Now, only Despair and now Dream. So he's sort uh, of a loser. All right. Great. Cool. Yeah, he's kind of a, kind of a wimp. Um, she brings up that Destruction quit his job, just left his realm, and nobody replaced him because he didn't die, and he seemed to have been able to do that. And she's basically like, you could have done that. You could have just, why don't you just walk away? And he goes, no, I could not. Because he's too, like, bound to rules. Like, he wouldn't break rules like the way destruction has. And responsibility. He's a little Spider-Man-ish, right? You're not going to... He's got the power. He can't abandon the dreaming. Yeah. And she kind of puts her head on his shoulder and says, no, you couldn't, could you? And I really love that panel, just the little sweet moment between death and dream. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's just very touching. And it's just one of the main things I love about all of Sandman issues is there's this contrast between sort of like grand supernatural tale and then like small human kindnesses and, and in contrast to each other it is a blast i say it's fun even the death of sandman it's kind of fun yeah no this is a fun issue it uh, even for me someone who hasn't reread this recently i didn't read the arc it was a fun read uh, this next page has this sort of triptych image in the middle of three women or maybe the same woman screaming same woman who is that? What's going on there? Okay, that I so that's, follow. that's Lyda Hall, and she is in Thessaly's apartment um, on a bed surrounded by a circle of black lamb's blood so that Sandman cannot get to her and kill her. And she's having, uh, like, nightmares. And I think the de- the attack on the dreaming is affecting her. And so the first panel is, that's what she actually looks like, and the green paint is stuff Thessaly put on her to protect her. Then she becomes like a Medusa creature. Earlier in this arc, she ran into the Medusa sisters and they sort of temporarily made her a Medusa creature. Sure, sure. I don't remember why. And the third one, I think, is like superhero mode. It's like her mother's superhero costume or maybe her old superhero costume. Um, But I, I feel like she's being attacked or she's suffering as the dreaming is being attacked. And these are her like reactions of pain. Okay. Then we cut to Delirium, who is sitting outside Lucifer's bar. Yeah, she's in Los Angeles. She's outside of Lucifer's nightclub, Lux, uh, and she's missing her dog. Right. The dog that used to be Destructions that he gave her at the end of uh, Brief Lives. Okay. Uh, uh, I put that together slightly just because a little bit later in this issue that she finds the dog, and I remember Barnabas. Uh, That's just one panel of that. Then we cut away to... Uh, just a bunch of like little things. We see Noala. Yeah, she's racing towards some portal in the ferry. She's basically taking charge of her life in a way she's never done before. 
then we see Loki, whose eyes have been ripped out by the Corinthian, tied up by vines and being tortured. Which is, this is Loki's fate in Norse mythology, too. Yeah. To have, he's like, just, a snake venom dripped into his eyes. Yeah. I think he's been here before and been freed in Sandman stories. That makes he's sense. Off, he's often trapped here, and he gets he gets he talks people in freeing him. And Norse mythology is cyclical, too, right? So... He gets like freed, the, everything gets reborn, right. then he gets trapped mm-hmm. again after yep. Ragnarok or whatever. Right. Um, then there's a bunch of ravens in the dreaming that are flapping their wings. Uh, there's been this like subplot of Matthew, who is the main raven, who used to be Matt Cable from Swamp Thing. Sure, <laughs> so sure, sure. Insanely complicated. <laughs> who's been asking Dream, what will happen to me? Do I die? What happens to me if anything happens to you? And Dream refuses to tell him. And so Matthew's worried about his own fate a lot. He's also worried about Dream. But. Yeah. Uh, then we cut back to Dream and Death and the fates, the kindly ones, the the gray ladies are sort of looming over them. Yeah, they're uh, they're either not visible or they're off panel. They're, they're kind of abstractly represented, yeah. And they're threatening him. They're, they speak in captions, which I always think is a cool technique in comics. Mm-hmm. Like captions read as very internal thoughts. Uh, it's something that comics can do that movies can't do. They sort of invoke this like internal voice very well. Uh, did you feel that dream King? We're ripping your world apart. We freed the powers that you had caged like that spider dream King. We are destroying the dreaming. Can you not feel it? What will you do to stop us? What can you do? They really, they hate him. So they're just taunting him. Right. And then uh, death sort of shuts them down enough. I've had quite enough of this. Leave us alone. This is between me and my brother and they and leave. They- Basically, she's like, I'm going to kill him, so back off. Like, you won, so stop gloating. Yeah. Be a good one. And then these next two pages is the the end of Dream, and they, they do it in very Death and Dream style. Death is like, well, what are we going to do with you? And Sandman is like, well, they're destroying the dreaming. What else can we do? I've made all the preparations necessary. She's like, humph, you've been making them for ages. You just didn't let yourself know that's what you were doing, if you say so. And then a big close-up. What a beautiful drawing of Dream here. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. What a contrast to the style he's been using for... This is like a much more... This almost looks like a beautiful Japanese mural or something. Or like... Um, instead yeah, what, of this simple, reduced, abstract style, it's like a very realistic close-up of her face, right? You know, when he zooms out, there's almost no lines. It's just a, a hair and her clothing and then white. And then when you zoom in, like you sort of see everything, but you still don't see. There's no like lines drawn for the nose, other than like the tip. It's I, still, I guess it's still simple, but it yeah. the effect is like much more realistic than what he's generally been rendering. Yeah. And then she goes, "Dream, give me your hand." They touch, and he dies. And it's I remember just being so moved by this when I first read it that like when you like, first oh. read it, did you realize he was dying at this point? Be long before this, or yes, yes, it was it was foreshadowed so heavily. I, and I think, I think I knew where they had announced we're only going to issue seventy five. So I knew that we were. This is sixty nine. So I was like, "Oh, he's this is it." Yeah. So you didn't read this going, "Oh my, they killed him." No, but I guess it's one of those things where I thought it might happen in the very last issue or off panel. It, it didn't occur to me that death would be there. Of, of that seems silly, but that. Mm-hmm. That his own big sister would be the one doing it? I don't know. I was just very affected by it. And then he's gone. And they've never brought Dream back, right? There's flashbacks. 
And uh, stories? This dream, no. He never comes back. Whenever he shows up in things now, it's Daniel. He, the, the next incarnation. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. They've honored that. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't a character that existed before, and they still have a dream to use. Uh, though most, like I, I think I mentioned this in past episodes, I think anytime Dream shows up anywhere, people still check with Neil Gaiman. Like they're still running it by him and making sure that he's cool with it. Like he showed up in a Justice League storyline. Yeah. Uh, and Grant Morrison ran it by Neil Gaiman. And there's definitely a lot, there was a, there still is, I guess, a sort of a dreaming verse of, uh, titles right now. Daniel might be up, I don't read them. Uh, one is called the dreaming. So uh, if he's in one, that's the one. Yeah. But all that sort of is is curated by Neil Gaiman, even though he's not writing any of it. Hmm, interesting. And then you know, after this, uh, during this, maybe even maybe it was after this, uh, lots of spinoff comics came. Right, with tons a lot of the characters and tons of spinoff comics, uh, and some of those I think were suggested by Neil Gaiman. It's, uh, he definitely, I think, was okay with him sort of pillaging the parts. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to have taken uh, ill to the idea that Vertigo, you know, did like a a, a Thessaly miniseries or whatever. So, um, I think yeah. this, is, I, this is a weird time, but I think we should take a break now, and then we'll finish the issue. Oh right yeah, after. I forgot about that. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. All right, and we're back. So how does Dream get out of this, Will? Yes, yeah, so Mr. Miracle style, at the last <laughs> second, he, show, he shows up that he had, like, Wonder Woman's bracelets on that he got from Lyda Hall's jewelry box. Oh, and he smart. bounced Death's death beams off of his wrists and saved himself. And then the last panel just shows Dream leaping off a cliff going, on to the next adventure. <laughs> no, but he looks, in the, he looks at the audience and he goes, don't know what I'm going to do next. Guess I'll have to sleep on it. And he winks <laughs> and that's the way the series ends. It's really a total shift. Yeah, yeah. It works. It works for me. Uh, no, Death Dream is super dead. And now we kind of see like all the characters of the kindly ones who have been like, uh, we kind of re, we just kind of go visit all of them and they all can feel it. Like Nuala is telling the Queen of Fairy that she's leaving and the Queen of Fairy is about to like exact some punishment, but then there's a lightning strike and the Queen of Fairy can tell that that Dream is dead. And I think she's a former lover of his or she loved him or something. Mm -hmm. And so she's so distraught that she's like, just get out of here. I don't care about you. Right. So then we cut to Delirium reuniting with Barnabas, the talking dog. Yep. He was being watched over by this kind of homeless man in LA and Delirium uh, is, is happy to be reunited with her dog. She offers to reward the uh, homeless man. And as we know from Delirium, uh, these rewards are bad. Um, you never want a gift from delirium. 
She's like, do you want palaces and golden touches and, oh, never dying in things? And the guy wisely says, nope, uh-uh, no way, not me, not Right, and then this is an interesting thing. She goes, what do you want? And the guy goes, I know you, Missy. I think I do. I'm kind of yours anyway, ain't I? Which he's delirious, I guess. Yeah. Kind of, she says. Taint safe to ask favors of your kind, even if I earned them. Otherwise, I might find myself spitting out flower petals and silver dollars every time I speak. I'm happy with just to thank you kindly, and maybe sometimes Barney Dog can come find me and gab a bit. I think I'm going to miss him. And with that decision, he's one of the smartest characters and all of the kindly ones. Yeah, he he saved his own life right there. Um, then we go to into the nightclub and Lucifer and Mazakin, his half-faced girlfriend, are talking about their plans. And he basically says he's done with the nightclub life and he's going to go off on adventures. And this basically leads into the Lucifer series. Yeah, though I don't know. I don't. Neil Gaiman definitely didn't have a plan for that at this time. But uh, right. uh I do know when Mike Carey wrote uh, Lucifer, he was offered like a handful of characters. He was basically, they said like, hey, do you want to do a Vertigo series? Do you want to do something from Neil Gaiman's Sandman universe? And he was, he couldn't choose which character to like build a story around. And so yeah. he basically called, reached out to Neil Gaiman and goes, which one would you choose? Like, who do you think I should choose? And he goes, I can't believe no one's taken Lucifer. Yeah. Someone should do Lucifer. And so Mike Carey said, Great, I'll do Lucifer then. <laughs> and did uh, oh. he did like a three issue or four issue miniseries, and then a seventy five issue uh, ongoing. Yeah, and he did seventy five is, issues to mirror this title, the Sandman seventy five yeah. issues. Lucifer, which Kevin turned me on to, is an incredible comic. And if you like Sandman, you would love Lucifer. I'm pretty, sh- I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's a little more. It's it's different, but yeah. it, it it is made up a lot of the same kind of fun stuff. It's still mythic and epic with like fantasy tales and, and creation myths and all this stuff, but it's a little more direct in its storyline, I think, as well. Yeah, a little bit more linear. Yeah. Um. Then we get to Rose Walker, the star of Doll's House, who's here with her landlord Hal, um, and her friend. Zelda has died, who's a character from Doll's House. And they're going to her funeral here. They're going to the funeral of her friend. And Rose is also pregnant. She had an affair with a solicitor, wanted to be his girlfriend, but it turns out he was with somebody, I think with a man, just based on a headline that's on the next page, but I'm not 100% sure. But she's pregnant from that affair. Uh, But that's kind of where we leave Rose. Hmm. Which also means that that's going to be Desire's great grandchild. Uh, she's like related to the Endless. Um, okay, that's crazy. She wait. She is Desire's granddaughter. Yeah, right. So her child would be Desire's great granddaughter. I mean, that's pretty close to a god in terms of bloodline. Uh, the next panel is where the next page we revisit the villain from the very first arc. Um, right, and I don't think I would have. I would not have remembered this, but I think you had mentioned it when we were doing our episode. Yeah, and so then I. I quickly realize what was going on here. Right. I mentioned it in the Clive episode, which is that at the end of the first arc in punishment for his family kidnapping dream, dream sentences, this guy to a life of basically being asleep and forever waking up. But then you're in a dream and you keep waking up. It's called eternal waking. And only here on this page, now that he's a very old man, now that dream is dead, that curse is lifted and he wakes up and becomes fully conscious for the first time since issue seven. Yeah. And the nurse just says it was only a dream, which is yeah, a nothing's going to hurt you. It was only, yeah. 
which is a crazy understatement. The the nurses on the newspaper the nurse was reading before she finds Alec Burgess, the man we were just talking about, before she finds him awake, a uh, local solicitor kills himself when gay lover walks out. I think that is the man that Rose had an affair with. I think he just killed himself is what's being revealed in the newspaper. But I can't tell. I don't know. Same <laughs> as complicated. Uh, well, uh, and then we, cut, we, g- we cut to, cut to uh, Lida Hall. Yeah. And she's on this bed and she's awake and she's calm now. And Thessaly is there. And Lida has only spotty memories of her adventures. It was a lot of like delusions and nightmares and visions. And Thessaly, this is what I also don't understand, who protected her. is like, you're going to have to go running. People are going to be really mad at you for what you've done, including me. But it's like, yeah, but you you protected her. Like, Dream would be alive, Thessaly, but not except for you. She's reading a book called, uh, Thessaly's reading a book called When Real Things Happen to Imaginary People. Very funny. It's very weird. I like Mark Hempel's uh, style for Thessaly a lot. Oh, it's great. Um, she, re- she reduces well to sort of an iconic drawing, yeah. like the big glasses, the high forehead. Then we cut to the, the Dreaming, the castle, uh, Dream's castle. Yeah, and there's all these ravens flying around, some sort of reference to what happens to the ravens. We zoom in on the room, and there's Daniel holding, like, a an emerald. Uh, and the, the baby, Daniel. Yeah. And he just suddenly becomes a new dream lord. Yeah, and the emerald sort of becomes, like, a necklace that he wears. And he is all white, as opposed to dreams, like, mostly black with a white face. This guy dresses all in white with his white face. And the Corinthian, the nightmare, sees him and goes, Daniel? And Daniel goes, no, not any longer. And this is our new Lord, uh, this is our new Lord Shaper. This is our new Dream Lord. Right. Uh, we cut to another little wrap-up of something. Is this the, the face? These are the, the kindly, kindly ones. ones. These are the Furies. We opened the whole series. There was a prologue to the series, like three pages. And then the proper opening was the Furies saying, everything has an ending. Everything. And they're like knitting. And this is them in the same sort of scenario. And so they're sort of like, are we, are we happy? Is basically what they're asking each other. Like, is this good? Are we done yeah. here? Yeah. And um, I don't know what this is. Oh, God, I should look at the annotated Sandman. But they find a fortune or something, and they read it. Flowers gathered in the morning after. Flowers gathered in the morning afternoon. They blossom on. Still are withered by the evening. You can be me when I'm gone. And I think that might be a song that one of the characters of Sandman sang much earlier in the series. Like Hazel or Foxglove or somebody was writing songs. Yeah. Uh, no idea I, for me. Okay. Um, and then uh, the they end with starting a new thread. And I guess that's supposed to be Daniel. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. The Kindly Ones. Yeah. Um, so this is... You know, I actually don't recommend you read The Kindly Ones if you haven't read the rest of the series. It is like jam-packed with references to earlier characters. And even if you're very familiar with it, it's it's hard to keep track of. It's really enjoyable, but I don't think it's a good entry point to the series compared to really any of the other arcs. Um, um, but, but it is fun. It is fun having all these characters... Um, stories get wrapped up. More of them, a few more get wrapped up during The Wake, which is the next volume, right? That's right. So we, we visit like kind of everyone else that doesn't get wrapped up here and probably all these characters again. Yeah, we do see almost all of them again. Um, for like the, the last six issues? Yes, six issues. There's three issues of The Wake and then uh, two issues of, oh no, and then three issues of just like follow-up. 
So sort um, of an epilogue yeah. uh, thing. And I also Lucifer sort of also followed that map too. Like the story sort of wrapped up and then there was like one more shorter volume of just yeah. like wrapping up. Uh, Mike Carey basically just like this worked. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to break uh, Neil Gaiman's method. Yeah. Um, it's a long wrap up, but it does feel sort of earned because the main series was so dense with like really good characters and really good ideas that just simply doing sort of a victory lap of all of them takes a lot of issues. And and as a reader, I loved it. Like I, I adored seeing everybody again. And it's such an epic story. I mean, it's, it's myths and stories and gods. It'd be tough just to say like, you know, the end. It's, it, you got to slow down. You can't just screech to a halt. Reading the kindly ones. And I, and I, although I'm saying it, it's not a good entry point. I love it. Like blew me away. Um, and when I, I think it was one of those where I went back and immediately reread the whole series. And when I started over, I was struck by how when Sandman started, it was really like an anthology horror story. And it felt much, much smaller than what it became. And then by the end here, it is this kingdom of great characters who are so well interwoven. It's just like, if you didn't know Neil Gaiman was good just from any one of his stories, which I don't know how you wouldn't know that, you'd be blown away by his like mythos creating. I'm a fan of that style. The idea of like, uh, your, your book has like a hook, right? This is like horror stories is told by the master of dreams. And then you slowly trick everyone into reading this serial storytelling, uh, this ongoing plot, you get invested in it. And that brings you back week in week out to the point where you don't even care about the, um, you know, monster of the week type stuff. I think that stuff really is cool. Serial storytelling. I mean, it's big now, uh, with binging and stuff like that, but, it's 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 important to remember, I think, that that stuff was never super successful, right? Twin Peaks was like a rare show that did this thing where it was like, oh, every episode t- goes into the next one. Status quos will shift. Things will change. This is not yeah. just adventure of the week type stuff. That didn't happen a ton. Even dramas were often just like another day at the hospital. I guess Lost was... Um, Lost was a big was- one, yeah. But I remember like when Lost happened, like a common thing that people said was, oh, Lost is great, but its audience gets smaller every year because there's no entry point. You have to go from the beginning. Sort yeah. Of. But I think also with Prestige, like Sopranos was this, Breaking Bad was this, Mad Men. Yeah. More and more shows do this. Um, but like when Sandman came out, those shows didn't exist. There weren't a yeah, lot of is- examples of this. I mean, comic books are a serial storytelling thing, but this is a adult comic book for lack of a better term. So it isn't appealing to like, Oh, let's see what Spider-Man's up to this week. It's appealing to someone who wants to read a great story. Um, and so sometimes you need that hook to bring people in hundred bullets was like that hundred bullets is like a really fun hook. But by the time you get to the end, like that hook is not really a part of the story at all. It's just this crime story that's sort of being unraveled over a hundred issues. Yeah. I mean, when you can pull it off, it's really satisfying. It really makes the end of, of a long series feel like something huge. And it also helps you, like, if if this comic had not been successful, right. if, uh, you know, those first six issues didn't sell well, you could just do another six issues of, like, Dream doing stuff and then wrap it up. Yeah. Um, and then these issues would only exist in Dream's library. <laughs> there, there is The Wake after this, but I, I think we're not going to do any issue from The Wake. I was telling Kevin... 
it's kind of it, it also is like a victory lap where you just revisit a lot of characters. I find it really moving and you learn a little bit more about some of them, but I don't think it's necessary for us to go over it. So I think we're just going to do a wrap up episode about the Sandman in general. And maybe we'll just sort of cover all things Sandman that we just haven't talked about. Like I'll yeah. try to listen to a little of the audiobook before then. Yeah. So, um, you might not have a chance, but if you <laughs> if you if you listen to last week's episode and have questions you want us to answer next week, do it last week, <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll probably record the next one before this before one. Before this one comes out, yeah, yeah right, right. Like right. two so days. Go before. back in time mm-hmm. and send your email like a week before you're hearing this. And I mean, we'll truthfully, send it anyway. We'll just talk about it in the next season. We're happy to hear any thoughts or questions. And our email, by the way, is screwitspidey at gmail. So if if there's something huge in the kindly ones, you're like, well, why'd you leave this out? Let's hear about it. If, or if you have a question your- you want Will to answer, like you didn't understand <laughs> something, Will is the expert. Don't Google it. Email yeah. us. Will will answer it. Okay. I'll f- yeah, I'll figure it out. Anybody who just loves Sandman, I would love to hear from you when you got into it, why you why you like it, what your story is with Sandman. Uh, that would be really interesting to me. Um, anything about the Kindly Ones? What do you think of the Mark Hempel art style? It's very distinctive. We think it's great, but it certainly is a change of pace from the rest of the series. There was one issue that he didn't draw, and I almost picked it because I seem to tend to pick the <laughs> issue from an arc that's drawn by the non-arc artist. You like to take the... the the rests, the the, the um, yeah, where the main artist gets a break. Yeah, the oasis in the middle of the long arcs. Yeah, uh, we have a few emails to read. Will do we? Should we go through those? Yes, I think so. Okay, uh, we have an email from Dean Spencer. This is about Batman. Uh, Batman Year One specifically. Hello, mm-hmm. brothers Hines. How are you traveling in your lockdowns? Uh, I'm not sure if he's asking how we got together because we recorded one episode together, or if he's just how you doing. Yeah, um, we quarantined for two weeks. Yeah, uh, I quarantined for two weeks in Connecticut, and then Kevin and I hung out. Yeah, in New Jersey. Uh, but otherwise, we're not traveling much because it's a yeah. it's a lockdown. It's hard, except in our dreams. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for your great humor and content. I'm in the middle of your Batman Year One episode two release, and it's inspired me to go back and reread it. I love the story and art, but you are making me appreciate it so much more. I've only ever been alive during the crazy Frank Miller years, so he's yeah. always had that attached to him in my mind, whereas you guys grew up with him being a stalwart and legend of the industry. I love his Daredevil run also, obviously, Sin City, Wolverine, and 300. It seems so strange how his stories changed or escalated so dramatically. Apparently, there was speculation he had a brain illness or injury, which <laughs> spurred on his 2000s co- content and attitude. In the last couple of years, he's released some decent work, but nothing of the quality of his heyday. It must have been amazing to live in the time of Frank Miller, Alan Moore era. You lucky milksops. Love your work, Dean. Um, I don't think he had a brain injury. I mean, I don't know. No, I guess. His stories are kind of a logical heightening of where he was going. He just yeah. kind of went too far, sort of. Yeah, it makes sense that the guy who did Dark Knight Returns would do the, the latter Sin City stories or Dark Knight yeah. Returns 2. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the direction he took regular Batman to make it Dark Knight is the same thing he took like Dark Knight. He just did another step further and without as much nuance, I I, think. I think, though, a little bit when we were coming up, or at least I was young enough, I took for granted Frank Miller and Walt Simonson and John Byrne uh, uh, and Alan Moore uh, 
because like for me, it was like I read reprints of the Ditko Kirby Lee stuff. Yeah. And then the current stuff was Frank Miller, John Byrne, Walt Simonson. Yeah. yeah and it was like, so this is, just, that's just comics. I didn't read this. Comics stuff are just good. Yeah. Uh, and it was only like much later that I was sort of like, I miss like those guys are still the guys. I mean, there's been great writers and artists since then, but for a little bit, it felt like people were just trying to do what those guys did. And you're like, I oh, often they, com- they, that was a seismic uh, yeah. talent pool. I often compare superhero comics of the 80s, the, the Miller, Alan Moore era, um, to like rock music in the 60s when it was like Beatles, Bob Dylan, James Brown. Um, like there was just this explosion of amazing music by people who were beloved basically forever after. But in the sixties, they were new. Like if you were a Beatles fan in 1965, they had been around for three years and Bob Dylan had been around for like four or whatever. And like, and yet 30 years later, there's a, there would be a pretty big section of rock music fans who they, those are still their number one people. And so as a teenager in the eighties, they'd be like, ah, man, I missed the sixties. But then I'd be like, I got eighties comics. Like, I went to Outer Limits Comics and bought an issue of Watchmen, you know, like Watchmen number six or yeah. whatever. And, you and know, Teenage Mutant Ninja that, Turtles too, right? Like that's a huge. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the black and white explosion. Uh, Love and Rockets, which to me personally was huge and critically acclaimed. Uh, Sandman right on the heels of this. And um, even like, I, th- I think it sort of like ends probably with like McFarlane and Eric Larson and those image guys, even though it's such a drastically different thing. But like there, you know, that's like an era. Yeah, that's a new era um, of stuff. I think all things sort of do that too, right? Like sports do that. Baseball does that in a way. It feels like, oh, there's all these great athletes. Uh, and then it feels like, oh, there's not, like those some of those guys are still around. And there's some good guys, some great guys. But there's it feels like we're missing some guys. And then there'll be like another burst, it feels like. Yeah. Every now and then. I feel um, like right now baseball's in the midst of another burst of young, amazing baseball players that are just so good. Yeah. That it's crazy. And that, uh, maybe it's like every fifteen years, it just feels like, oh, we're in a we got here's a new batch. And it also, you know, with big genres like I'm about to list, it depends kind of what subset you pay attention to. But like, I feel like television in the late '90s, early 2000s, sort of like starting with like I don't know Buffy and Batman, the animated series, through Sopranos, and like even up to lost went through like, Oh, TV is suddenly like way better than it used to be <laughs> like in general. Yeah. TV took a, a huge step forward to comp- like televisions got better, but then all, all that happened like during that uh, people just like doing better stuff with TV. Some of that was just having more channels, right? Like the mm-hmm. CW or WB, I guess at the time. And then also like HBO being like, we're going to make shows. Yep. Yeah. Uh, like they had made a few, but like, I think technology also like, yeah. Eventually, the rise of digital cameras just let directors have a lot more uh, agility, you know. Yeah, you but then m- I think also just like uh, uh, institutional knowledge, like people grew up watching the good stuff of the 70s and 80s and made better stuff. Right. Like all the people who worked on X-Files, which is probably an inconsistent show with like great episodes and bad episodes. And uh, and from what I understand, like there was the the plot stuff was like not there. It wasn't there enough for the people who really liked that stuff. And the guys who like worked on that show were like, all right, let's do more of that. Let's leave and create more of this stuff. 
Yeah. We learned our lessons on this show that everyone loves. Now we'll, we'll go out and do our own thing. Like, cause Vince Gilligan came from there and, and he did Breaking Bad and stuff like that. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah. I mean, like you learn from your forebearers. Yeah. Without um, Cheers, there's no Seinfeld. Without Seinfeld, there's no Arrested Development. And so it, but it does feel like comics in the eighties was, uh, it was a peak, you know, a, a mainstream superhero comics, uh, you know, of like arty indie comics and European. Okay. There's other eras, but for like Marvel and DC going to the comic book store to get comics, the eighties was like insane. It was crazily cool. Um, so we got a question here from Thomas Franzum. This Good. is a quick one. Will who wins in a fight? Dream or Freddy Krueger? That's interesting. So Freddy Krueger can travel throughout dreams, but then then Dream is the lord of the dreaming. So I feel like Freddy Krueger is a nightmare that Dream created. Yeah, I mean, he feels uh, like at best he's the Corinthian. Yes, but Corinthian almost killed Dream uh, in Doll's house. Oh. He, made a, he made a good run at him. Um that's why the Corinthian he makes in the kindly ones is a lot more obedient. Um, the only chance Freddy Krueger has is if Dream has just escaped from being kidnapped for 70 years <laughs> and he's feeling especially emo and Freddy disguises himself as Thessaly. Then he can get close enough maybe to like slice his little neck open. Yeah, I think Freddy Krueger wouldn't be able to resist like being uh, Thessaly, but like. Thessaly wearing the glove or wearing the sweater, and Dream would notice that. Yeah, he loves giving stuff away. So yeah, yeah I, we're gonna have to give it to Dream just by a little. Yeah, uh, that was an important question, though. Thanks for the email. What Thomas. a great, what a great movie crossover that would be. Two audiences that have nothing to do with each other, <laughs> like Alien versus Predator, like was a sensible crossover. But Dream versus Freddy would be like, oh, it's funny. Nobody went. <laughs> <laughs> Zero people saw our movie. That didn't appeal to either audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, one more email. This is from Charles Smith. The subject for this email is milk sops are everywhere. Okay. Hey guys, just want to say thanks for your awesome show. I look forward to it every week. I'm writing to see if you guys have ever played Bioshock Infinite. I know playing video games instead of reading comics. Uh, have you ever played Bioshock Infinite, Will? No, I have not. You're a resident gamer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anyway, I started playing it again the other day when I heard us, uh, uh, anyway, I started playing it again the other day when I heard some soldiers I was facing off in a firefight yell out to me, grow a spine, you milksop. Uh, awesome. Right now I'm wondering if you've ever heard milksop used anywhere else. Yeah. Thanks guys. Keep up the great work because today's milksop could be tomorrow's panty waste. Um, I'm playing red dead redemption Two. I'm at 90% completion, mm -hmm. uh, and Milksop is used in that game. They do say Milksop? Yes. Some of the gangsters call some of their enemies Milksops. I, mean, I don't think I have ever seen it or read it in anything else. I mean, Stan Lee was a big fan of, like, genre fiction, so I think a lot of his language came from, like, you know, adventure stories. For sure it came from something. It wasn't a word invented by Stan Lee. But he used it so much in those early comics, Milksop and Panty Waste, uh, uh, for, for Peter Parker and Bruce Banner, and High Pockets uh, for Hank Pym, uh, that in my mind, anyone who used it, even before those comics, stole it from Stan Lee. It just doesn't, I can't, I, I, it's hard for me to believe anything else. Yeah. Um, 
What a funny word to lean on, milksops. It is a word I am excited. I would be excited to hear in any other world, any other media. I bet you it shows up in old westerns and stuff. You know what I mean? Like John Wayne movies or like gangster movies of that era. Like, hey, a milksop, get out of here! I mean, panty waist sounds like a word that would be in like a neutered teen drama, right? Like uh, a, a bunch of punk kids in a in a high school, but in a movie version where you can't say real homosexual slurs, <laughs> uh, just real slurs or or curse words. Yeah. Um. Yeah, just calling somebody a woman by referring to their waist as yeah. panty-like. Yeah. Um, I mean, that definitely was true in Marvel Comics, you know, like the the right. family-friendly version of, like, Tough Talk. Uh, but that's all the emails we have today, Will. I'm closing out the mailbag on that one. Oh, no, you know, we have one more. Somebody uh, messaged me on our Instagram account. Let me see if I can find out who it was. They pointed this thing out that's interesting. Um I can't quite find out if it's true, uh, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Let's hmm. see. Um, uh, where was I? I can't find it. So somebody posted, though, and they basically said the, or maybe it was on Twitter, uh, the World's End arc for yeah. Sandman, they read, took place during Zero Hour, which was one of DC Comics' A universe reshuffling, uh, like crisis-like events, where they kind of changed continuity a little bit. Oh, that's interesting. So that that might be the reality storm within the World's End books. That's very cool. If Neil was able to actually sort of integrate into a very sort of mainstream superhero thing. Yeah, I tried to confirm it, and I couldn't. Like, I couldn't figure out whether the issues came out at that same time. Uh, I mean. DC kind of goes through those constantly. And also sometimes like those events can get pushed off or pushed forward. So I can imagine he was trying to do that and it didn't happen or he did do it or he just like wrote the story and it happened to like fall during one. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, Oh great. Uh, yeah, that was on purpose or whatever. It's a cool idea that the, uh, that a crisis event was happening in the, in the superhero universe that affected the Sandman universe in some way. It's also a good story way to exempt your characters from that crossover. It's like, oh, yeah. well, they were at the World's End Inn, so they didn't get affected right, by exactly. the thing. you know. Uh, but that was one other thing we got. I can't remember if that was through Twitter or Instagram. Either of those would be under the handle Screw It Comics. Screw It Comics. Yeah, please check our Instagram especially. Kevin puts these really delicious, delicious? Mm -hmm. Yeah, screenshots of the stuff we talk about. And uh, check our Twitter too. Hey, we tweet stuff. You know what I mean. And uh, we're you know we're interesting people with comments on the d events of the day. Mm -hmm. Check us mm -hmm. out. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. So next issue, our last issue on Sandman. Yeah, that will wrap up our next season episode. Yeah. Next episode, we're going to wrap up Sandman, and then we're going to go into something else. Probably Secret Wars. We'll let you know next week for sure. I think almost definitely Secret Wars. We're definitely Marvel's doing Secret Wars, whether or not that's the following week or not. I guess is what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, we're trying to schedule it. Yeah. Uh, so look uh, okay. forward to uh, that's such a tonal. That's gonna be such a drastic shift. Yeah, I know. From like the, the most opposite. commercial thing, we'll be following up on like the most yeah. Uh, uh, gimmicky. Yeah, like Just, we're going from the most literate, arty, yeah. sort of thing that was in mainstream comics at that time to like a just a, just a cash register cash open. grab. <laughs> yeah, you like Sandman? Maybe you'd like every superhero punching <laughs> each other. <laughs> and guess what? We did like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's everything we cover falls under the realm of we liked it. Yep. Um, okay, we'll see you guys next episode. Thanks, everybody.
Bye. Hey, Rachel, Oscar. Yeah, Claire? Claire? Do you love Disney movies? Uh Uh-huh. Have you seen them all? Not Not all of them. them. What do you guys think if we watch them all in chronological order and then talk about them? Ooh. Oh, and what if we could talk about it with some of our favorite friends? (gasps) I love that. Yeah, what if we do it inside the Disney vault? You know, that's the name of our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media. Yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. That's Inside the Disney Vault. Let's go. Campfire.